is our offerings. So we have the burnt offerings, we have the peace offering, we have the sin offering, the meal offering, the trespass offering. And that's all covered in the first five chapters. It is a high priority to the God of Israel that we understand how to worship him properly. And then the next two chapters, six and seven, also deal with the offering. The first five chapters are dealing with the the responsibilities of the people with respect to the offering. And then chapters six and seven deal with the responsibility of the priests. What is the priest's role with respect to the offering? These offerings were expensive, and they were graded according to people's economic standing, but it was a sacrifice. The, the, the people of God had to sacrifice to worship him. Now let's understand the role of the priest. Turn with me, please, to Leviticus chapter 6. And we'll just break into this just to get a feel for the, the, the role of the Levites with respect to the offering. Leviticus 6 and verse 25 says this, Moses, speak unto Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. So the burnt offering was a voluntary offering. The sin offering now is an offering to do with the sin nature in man. All the males, verse 29, all the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy. So there's an economic relationship here between the people of God and the priests of God. If I'm one of the people in ancient Israel, I am sacrificing. This is costing me economically. I'm actually losing something economically. But my loss is the gain of the Levites. My sacrifice fattens the Levites. It says here in verse 29, All the males among the priests shall eat thereof. It is most holy. So the sacrifice of the people builds the economic strength of the Levites. Look at verse 1, chapter 7. In the same way is the law of the trespass offering. This is where restitution is required and someone has sinned and they need to bring an offering to God. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering shall they kill the trespass offering. And the blood thereof shall he sprinkle round about upon the altar. Again, this is the the Levite's responsibility. And he shall offer of it all the fat thereof, the rump and the fat that covers the inwards, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them, which is by the flanks, and the call that is above the liver with the kidneys, it it shall he take away. And the priest shall burn them upon the altar for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Notice verse 6. Every male among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten in the holy place. It is most holy. It's costing me. It's benefiting the priests. So I could be very cynical here and say, this is a money grab. This is costing me so that the priests can eat. But remember, the way that the tribes of Israel were structured, the priests had no land. The land was divided up among the 12 tribes, and the Levites had nothing. God said, you trust me. I will be your inheritance. And so the priests now depend upon these offerings for their livelihood. So that's part of the equation. 
But there is more. Verse 6, every male that is among the priests shall eat thereof. It shall be eaten in the, most ho- in the holy place. It is most holy. As the sin offering is, so is the trespass offering. There is one law for them. The priest that makes atonement therewith shall have it. So, so money really is being transferred from the people to the Levites. The priest shall have it. And the priest that offers any man's burnt offering, now we're dealing with the burnt offering, the burnt offering is completely consumed by fire, but even the burnt offering, it says here in verse 8, the priest that offers any man's burnt offering, even the priest shall have to himself the skin of the burnt offering. So here's an offering that's completely consumed by fire, but before we consume it, we skin it and we give the skin to the priests. So if they want to make shoes or coats out of leather, they're able to do that now. And the meat offering, we say the grain, and all the meat offering or the grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is dressed in the frying pan and in the pan shall, the priests, shall be the priests that offers it. So even the grain offering now, the priests get that. And every meal offering mingled with oil and dry shall all the sons of Aaron have one as much as the other. And these offerings were not small. If you actually study the measure that God lays out, how big the meal offering should be, again, it's a significant sacrifice. All of that is to be given to the priests who offer it. And again, we can be cynical, and we can say this is a money grab, and maybe we can try to see if we can shortchange and try to hold on to this, this wealth for ourselves rather than follow the instruction and give it to the priests. Now, let's look at some of these ancient Israelites who took a cynical view of the offering. And let's see that in Psalm 50. And as we're looking at this, we will get to the heart of what this is all about. Why is the great God of Israel saying, if you're going to live with me, worship me in this way, and make sure you look after my priests? Why is that? Let's see this in Psalm 50. Psalm 50 And beginning in verse 1, and we'll read the psalm together. The mighty God, even the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shone. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. He is silent now. We have a lot of very intellectual people trying to persuade the world that there is no such thing as God, that the Bible is a book of fairy tales, because God is silent. But the scripture says here that he shall not keep silence. God is going to roar. Uh, Man will be humbled and will know that the God of Israel, he is God. He shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him. So before our our great God comes, a fire will come before him and consume everything in its path. And it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. This great God, this consuming fire, is coming to judge his people. 
He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together. Gather the saints together unto me. Those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Those people of God who understand I have a relationship with you through offerings, through sacrifice. And if this refers to ancient Israel, how much more to us as the saints of God? Verse 6. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. So we have set the scene. We are dealing with the great God of Israel. He has gathered his saints together, those that have made a covenant with him through sacrifice, and he is now going to render judgment. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. There's a problem in Israel. These are the people of God. These are the people that God has rescued out of Egypt and he has a relationship with through covenant. And now we have a problem. There's a problem in Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, even your God. I will not correct you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings that have been continually before me or that should be continually before me. So God is not going to correct them about the offering. I will take no bullock out of your house, nor he goats out of your folds. Why? For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. If we were going to translate that into 2014 language, God would say, I don't need your money. Because all of your money, in some way, shape, or form, comes out of the earth. And everything in the earth is mine. So I'm not entering into this relationship with you because I need your money. There's something else. For every beast, verse 10, of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, or God would say to us today, if I were broke, I wouldn't come to you asking for a loan. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine. All of the wealth in the earth is God's, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Is the offering rituals that I put in place, did I put them in place for my benefit? Verse 14, here's the offering. Offer unto God thanksgiving. That's what this is about. That we have a relationship and you understand how much I am blessing you as my saints. And you're offering thanksgiving. And pay your vows unto the Most High. And then we're in a relationship. And watch the benefit of the relationship to you. Verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. When you're in trouble, I'm your God. You can call upon me. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You are the saints of God. You are set apart. You are sacred. God is silent. The whole world is arguing that there's no such thing as God, or that God is a, a polytheistic God, or he's a Trinitarian God, and there's deception everywhere. 
but you know God. And God wants a relationship with you. And in your day of trouble, call upon God. Because of that relationship, he will deliver you. This is what the offering is all about. This is what the worship of God is all about. It's about a people set apart that God can use. Verse 16, we have but. Here is the problem in Israel. Here is the problem. So gather my saints. I'm going to judge them. There are saints that understand that I want relationship. And then there are saints where God says, unto the wicked, God says, what have you to do to declare my statutes? Or that you should take my covenant in your mouth? Why are you pretending? Seeing that you hate instruction. I appreciate the opening prayer by by Brother Joe saying, "We, we want to learn. We want to be instructed. We want to be in relationship. We want to have unity. And that doesn't come by our carnal nature. We require God's Holy Spirit. We require instruction. Seeing that you hate instruction and have cast my words behind you. And this was the problem in Israel. That they were not listening to the Levites. And because they weren't listening to the Levites, they didn't see the value of the offertory system. Because the words were coming, but they were casting them behind. When you saw a thief breaking the law, then you agreed with him. And you've been a partaker with adulterers. Again, breaking the law. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and you speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. This is what you do, the saints of God. You sit and you speak against your brother and you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I kept silence. I kept silent. Because of my silence, you thought that I was altogether such as one of yourself. So when these brethren were bringing the offering, they thought that God was like them. And they thought, it's a money grab. I like money. I agree with thieves. I agree with adulterers. I lie. I slander. I don't get it. But I know I like money. And I guess God likes money too. And God is saying, you're making me in your image. This is something else. I'm not like you. I'm not like carnal man. I am God, the God of Israel. I'm here to bless you. And anything that I put in place, it's for you. The whole offertory system, it's for you. When you bring your offering and you see the priest sitting at table and eating it, that's for you. Because they're going to come and they're going to give you my words, and my words are going to transform you, and when you're transformed, I will glorify you. This is all for you. Verse 21. These things you have done, I kept silence. You thought I was altogether such as one as yourself, but I will correct you, and I will set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this. You saints that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Our God is a consuming fire. Yes, he's merciful, but he also judges. Whoso offers praise, this is the offering, gratitude, praise. 
glorifies me. And to him that orders his conversation aright, whose, whose heart is transformed, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Let's not slander each other. Let's not speak evil. Let us order our conduct, conversation aright. Will I show the salvation of God? Let's conclude, brethren, in Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Where we see this contrast between the evil and the good. Between the saints who get it and the saints who don't. Proverbs 15 and verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools pours out foolishness. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he that regards reproof is prudent. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of fools does not so. Verse 8. The sacrifice, the offering of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. God doesn't need our money. If we're not in relationship with God, if we're not transforming our ways, if we're not feeding on the word of God and having our hearts corrected, God doesn't want our money. God wants a relationship with us. So we see this contrast constantly, the good and the evil, the good and the evil. Here's the evil. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Here's the good. But the prayer... Of the upright is his delight. Notice it doesn't say, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, but the sacrifice of the righteous, now that's what I want. It's not about the sacrifice. The prayer, it's about the relationship. And so the way we worship God through offerings is so that we can have a Levitical priesthood in place that can instruct us and give us the word of God. And rather than take the words of God and cast them behind and pay no attention, we feed on, the, the priests feed on the offering so that we can feed on the word of God. And then the prayer of the upright is his delight. So brethren, as you bring your offering to God this morning, rejoice that we have been set apart and we have been called into this special relationship with the God of Israel. And we, he, he tells us how to worship him. And a big part of how we worship him is through sacrifice. So with that, we will have the uh, offertory music. If you are writing a check and you're, you're not from CGI, um, just instruct us where you want that offering to go. So if it's to go to the United Church of God, I know we have a lot of brethren there or any other organization, instruct us to do that. We'll faithfully carry out your instructions. If you are writing an offering that you're supporting CGI Canada, just make the check payable to CGI Canada. We'll have offertory music. It's a piece entitled Because He Lives, and it will be performed by my wife, Jennifer Davis, on the piano.
Our loving Heavenly Father, great God Almighty, we come before you with hearts full of gratitude and full of praise. Of all the billions of people on the earth, you have called us out, Father, to a special relationship with you as we tabernacle here in the spiritual wilderness. We praise you, Father. We thank you so much for this grace that you have shown to us. We thank you for the opportunity we have to be in relationship with you. And we thank you, Father, that you instruct us how to be in relationship with you and how to worship you. And we pray, Father, that our hearts will be full of praise and gratitude. And even though there is a a ritual nature to worshiping you, it is really the, the spiritual nature that you want to transform in us. Father, we know you don't need our money. But we thank you that we can participate with you in your great work here on earth. And we're asking, Father, that you will see the hearts of of this people as we come before you as your faithful saints, that you will bless us, Father, as we seek to bless others, to take this gospel and preach it to the world, that those whom you're calling as first fruits will hear it and be converted, and others, Father, will be warned so that they will recognize this message in their time. We praise you, Father, and pray that the decisions that are made as to how this resource will be uh, exercised, that you will bless those decisions and guide those decisions, Father, and you will magnify the the two fish and the, the five loaves that we offer. We praise you, and we thank you for your miraculous hand in our lives. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. I think at this time we'll have Pastor Murray come back up. Please take your hymn books and rise. We'll have time for a hymn before we have a presentation from the choir and then the main message of the service. So turn your hymn books as you rise. Turn your hymn books to page 231. We will sing, Come Thou Almighty King.
We do have a presentation from the choir. The choir this year is led by Sister U.S. Daniel. They will be singing to us, Rejoice, the Lord is King, after which we are privileged to hear from one of our resident pastors here in Ontario, uh, who will be with us for a couple of days. Uh, He'll be leaving uh, following day three to head to Baltimore. Uh, From Baltimore, he will be headed to Jamaica, where he will be at two faith sites in Jamaica. Uh, So after the presentation from the choir, uh, from the Toronto congregation, Pastor George Ramakon will bring us the sermon. So now the festival choir, under the direction of Sister U.S. Daniel, rejoice, the Lord is King.
Good morning, everyone. Is it afternoon? First of all, I, I just want to extend a very, very warm welcome to all of you to God's Feast of Tabernacles. It's just an exciting time, I'm sure, for everyone here. And uh, particularly, I want to ask if there's anyone here that is observing the Feast of Tabernacles for the very first time. Would you please stand if you are? And let us give you a warm, rousing welcome. Wow. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. We have here today uh, uh, members from the congregations of, uh, of uh, Kitchener, London, uh, Toronto, and uh, Burlington. And of course, there are our very special brothers and sisters from the United Church of God in Windsor. Would you put your hands together for, for them, please? And of course, I just want to point out very specially, it is such a pleasure to see with us today Pamela Klett, who is coming in. <laughs> and, 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 and the brethren from Toledo, you know, all of them, indeed. <laughs> Thanks. Now, forgive me if I, I really have uh, left anyone out here, but, you know, Pamela, uh, Frank Klett, you know, or choir master, uh, he passed uh, for a little over a year now, is it? In, in December of, of, of last year, and really... It was such a sad loss to the entire Church of God. Coming back from the Worldwide Church of God into uh, just recently, he has been just at it. And we still remember Frank for his absolute dedication and his selflessness in serving the people of God. So, Pamela, we, we really are excited that you were able to make it up and to come and to share with us in this feast. It is such a wonderful uh, privilege uh, brethren, for us to be here at the Feast of God, it is nothing that we should take lightly. It is not equivalent to conventions which we see churches hold, and they go out and they stay in the hotels like we are for maybe a week or so. It absolutely is quite different, because this is holy time. This is a time that God has sanctified and he has consecrated unto himself. That we can enjoin in that relationship spoken of by Pastor Adrian. That we can be part of that relationship which he is building. And so when we come here and wherever the feast sites of God are across the globe, we are really entering into that holy presence, into that holy time that God has consecrated for us. The psalmist in Psalms 84 captures 
the essence of this privilege in attending uh, God's feast. In Psalms 84 and verse 1, if you look at that very quickly, it says, How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. He could say this because for him, this is all that he lives for. To, to have the opportunity when the time comes around to be present in the tabernacle of God. He says this because he understands what the Feast of Tabernacles foreshadows, what it means, way beyond anything that human beings can properly conceive. Because this is the kingdom of God, representing the presence of the kingdom of God upon the earth, which is the ultimate presence of God with man, when everything shall be changed and transformed into righteousness, into peace, as God has ordained. And this, for the psalmist, was an extraordinary time. And that's the way I want each one of us to feel as we come to the Feast of Tabernacles. What a lovely gift God has given to us to be here, to be present at his feast. In verse 2 it says, My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the court of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. We, we came through the, the Feast of, of Atonement just before coming to the Feast of Tabernacles. And the experience that we felt after going through that fasting, having to do without food for, for that day, feeling every maybe five, ten minutes a reminder that we need to get something to eat, feeling a sense of weakness and, and a desire to get back to that point when you can begin to refresh your body. That is how the psalmist is explaining it here. How much he desires, he wants, he hungers, he thirsts for being present in the house of God. And that is for waiting for a whole year until the feast comes throughout the year. We are looking forward to the day. So we begin to do the things that God instructs us to do. To begin to prepare not only a week or a month or three months before the Feast of Tabernacles arrive. But from day one, after we leave the Feast of Tabernacles, to begin to prepare for the next. There's so much instructions in the scripture to tell us about that. In verse 3 it says, even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow a nest for herself. Everyone wants a home. Jesus himself spoke while he was upon the earth. He says, uh, foxes uh, have their hole and birds have their nest. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We need a place to lay our head. We need a place of rest. We need somewhere that is secure. We need somewhere where we can be supported. Where we can be refilled and regenerated. And the psalmist saw the Feast of Tabernacles at that place. Is it any wonder that God says that when we come to the feast, we come in order to learn to fear the Lord, that we may grow, that we may build up, that we may be strengthened with the, with the spiritual food that can sustain us as we await the coming of his kingdom. And then in verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are you, brethren. Blessed are all the persons who find themselves present at the Feast of Tabernacles because, it says, they will still be praising you. There comes a time when the praise of God will be endless, 
when we will not be distracted with the cares of life and the, the weights of this world, but we will be absolutely tabernacling with God when that final tabernacle shall come down out of heaven and God himself shall dwell forever with man. This is an absolutely wonderful experience that only the Spirit of God can truly magnify in our hearts and our minds that we can truly come to appreciate. Is it any wonder that the world is so astray and is so unmindful of God's Feast of Tabernacles? Even sincere people who really want to worship God. There's so many people we know in, in various uh, denominations and, and they, 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 you would see that for years they are there. They're faithful. They, they're doing the things that they know. But the enemy has blinded the gospel to those that are perishing. And one day, this feast, the very last great day of this feast, represents the time when God will avail that opportunity to all of mankind. And so when we come to the feast and we even leave our schools and we leave our workplaces and our friends and our colleagues and maybe family members and we come here, it is not selfish to leave and to come because you are doing this on their behalf. You, God is preparing you as a people in order to bring all nations to God, all people, all who are blind, all who are unmindful, all who are stiff-necked and callous against God and his laws. A carnal mind cannot love the law of God, nor can it, God says. And therefore, when we come here, we come here as representatives of all mankind, because in the future, we will rule over all mankind to bring the nations to God. Isn't that wonderful? It is wonderful. And so in verse 5, he says, Blessed is a man whose strength is in you, whose heart is on pilgrimage, whose heart rests upon pilgrimage. Even though we are occupied in taking care of our children in the home and we are seeking to eke out a living in, in whatever area of life you work or we are seeking to do things in our community, the social programs, and we are reaching out in the back of our mind. Our mind is set upon pilgrimage. Pilgrimage here represents the feasts of God because they are pilgrimage feasts. So when you see the word here, our minds are upon the feasts of God. We're looking forward to the days of unleavened bread that are going to be coming up uh, after this at the beginning of the sacred year. And we look forward to, 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 to Pentecost. And we look, so we set our mind upon pilgrimage. And few people realize the value of the feasts of God for people who serve God. That if you don't have your mind upon the feasts of God, you're missing much of the things that God wants to impart, to teach. Much of the, the rules that he has laid down and the examples that he has laid down. Because through these feasts, God communicates his will to us and gives us practical, experiential opportunities to serve him in spirit and in truth. And so we are seeing this wonderful thing of being in the feast, at the feast of God. Verse 10. For a day in your court is better than a thousand. In other words, one day here at the Feast of Tabernacles is better than a thousand days doing the, 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 the wonderful things of the world. 
Just one day. And we are here for eight days. It's greater than 8,000 days doing other things that we might consider to be important. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. To be in the house of God as a doorkeeper is greater than being the President of the United States. Is greater than being the Chief Executive of Apple and Google combined. (laughs) To be a doorkeeper in God's house is to do and to receive and to be blessed with that which man eagerly yearns for. People are talking about how to extend their lives, how to get longer lives. They're doing so many things. The the scientists are doing research and they're trying to find ways and means of how we can enrich and make our lives healthier and longer. The supplement company, the health food people, they are into the big business of trying to tell us how you can add another five years and two years and three years to your life by taking this supplement and taking that one. Everyone is is up on this. We are trying to become vegetarians and to do all kinds of things in order to keep our life healthy and sustained. Yet there is an offer in the scriptures of eternal life. Free. No cost. All the money you spend on supplements. This is where life is. This feast represents the time when man will live eternally with God if man obeys God and walk in God's ways. And so, the pleasures and the treasures of this world cannot compare with the gift that this feast of tabernacles represent. So we are here at the Feast of Tabernacles because we yearn to be in the presence of God. And God has made it clear that this is where he places his presence. When he said to Moses, build me a tabernacle, tell the people to build me a tabernacle, the reason was that I may come and dwell with them. If only the world of Christianity understood and knew that God has provided an appointed time when you can come and dwell in his presence. When we come here for eight days, it's unlike the Sabbaths when we we go to church and we, we, we spend the time in worship and prayer and so on, and then we go back to our homes. When we come here, we are literally dwelling is coming to stay, to spend some time with God. We have nowhere else to go. We sleep right here in this dwelling. And we wake up in this dwelling. And we dine and we fellowship in this dwelling. Because this is symbolic 
of the dwelling of God that is coming upon the earth. But more importantly, we assemble here at the Feast of Tabernacles because there is a special designation, a special role to which God has called us. And it is important that as the future leaders of this world, as the kings and priests that God is calling out of the world, that we meet at God's Feast of Tabernacles in order to reflect upon the job to which he is calling us, the job of rulership, the job of reaching out to the world in order to bring the world to God. The members of the Church of God combined represent the government of God in waiting upon the earth. 2,000 years ago, the ruler of that government, the king of that kingdom, was elected. Jesus Christ, when he came to the earth, in John chapter 18, in verse 37, he was asked by Pontius Pilate, Art thou a king? One of the major issues that led to his crucifixion was the threat he posed to the authorities at that time that he would be a king. That is why Herod sent out in order to kill all the children that were born at that time because they felt the threat already and they knew a king was coming and that this king was coming in order to rule over the earth and to bring all the kingdoms of the earth to an end. Art thou a king? Was asked. Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world. There's a lot of preaching about Christ the child, and Christ the crucified, and that is okay, and that is important. But the ultimate coming of Jesus Christ to the earth is to be king. It's for rulership. It is because it is not in man to direct his paths. It is because there is a way that seems right to man, but it leads to death. And the earth needs rulership. 1 Peter 2, in verse 9, makes this clear. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It is such a wonderful thought that Christianity is not this hairy fairy 
idea of, of myths and mysteries as many would seek to advocate. But it is so clear and so practical what God is doing and what he wants you for and why he called you and why you are here at the Feast of Tabernacles. It is no ordinary thing. And there is nothing that we are doing in life, neither the career we have, nor the status we have, nor whatever popularity you have, or whatever wealth we have, or whatever it is that we have. Nothing can compare with this promise of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this government that God is appointing is needed on the earth. It's needed now. Jesus said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's the kingdom of God that he wanted to pray. In the book of Revelation, it, it ends with, even, even so, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. There is need, urgent need for the kingdom of God in the earth. The earth is perishing. The earth is suffering. The earth is misdirected. The earth is self-destructing. And we need the kingdom of God upon the earth. Have you heard the shocking news published in the 2014 edition of the Living Planet Report of what is happening to our globe? I'm sure you have heard it. It says, 52% of vertebrate species on our planet have been wiped out from the earth over the past 40 years. 52%. Consider this. 52% of all the vertebrate animals have been wiped out from all the earth. The report reveals that the number of mammals, birds, reptiles, amphibians, and fish across the globe is on average less than half the size it was in the 1970s. Do we understand that? The number of creatures that we were living with on the earth that God provided, that only 48% of that ecology is now present on the earth. And what is frightening is that while that is happening, the human population over the past 40 years has literally doubled. So whilst you're wiping out the ecosystem that supports human life, we are, the human population is growing. And what that means is that we are running into a crisis. There is a threat to human existence that is a reality of our times. 
God said to man to care for this earth. But man has been more of a negative, destructive agent upon the earth. So humanity cannot survive in a vacuum. And we need to think about the consequences of these reports and what it means. Because it gets even worse. What the report is also saying is that fresh water, which we drink, which we bathe with, that we use for agriculture, that we we use for so many essential things, fresh water is gradually disappearing from the earth. So not only are the animals and plants, but also the very water, the very thing that is needed to sustain it, is being frittered away. Fresh water upon the face of the earth represents only 3% of the world's water. The rest of it is the salt water out there. Fresh water. And what it is saying here is as a result of the the pollution of fresh water, 1.1 billion people worldwide lack access to water, to fresh water, and 2.7 billion find fresh water scarce for at least a month. Now, we're running into problems because water is an important ingredient in maintaining cleanliness. A lack of water, fresh water, is already a major threat to the spread of diseases. So you are seeing, as we come to the Feast of Tabernacles, the condition that the world is in. And when God says that a government is being provided to take over the rulership of the earth, It is because indeed mankind needs a new system of government, a new type of government. Inadequate sanitation is also a problem. 2.4 billion people are exposed to diseases such as cholera, typhoid fever. And now we are hearing about Ebola and so many other diseases that are occurring across the globe. The drying up of rivers and lakes. It says more than half of the world's wetlands have disappeared. Wetlands. Wetlands that are, are crucial for moisturing the soil, for, for growing certain types of vegetation. One half of that vegetation has also disappeared. So not only your animals, but your plants are going away. You see, as we come to the Feast of Tabernacles, it is no less for those who are going to be the leaders of the world tomorrow to continue to take an assessment of what is happening in the world. 
Because what it is proving is that the promise of God and the plan of God is a real plan, is a plan that is needed and is one to which we must be faithful. The World Bank put out another report. And what the World Bank has said is that natural disasters are increasing at a phenomenal rate. So apart from mankind's direct efforts at depleting the earth of its resources, our treatment of our environment is creating another problem with the environmental issues that are creating man-made disasters. And these natural disasters, according to the World Bank, it says, for the past 10 years, each year, an average of $200 billion in losses have occurred. Think about that for a minute. Think about 10 years, $200 billion per year being wiped out of man's resources, what man is doing in order to survive. If you work that out over a 10-year period, that works out to $2 trillion. What does $2 trillion represent? Let's put it in more graphic terms. $2 trillion, the Canadian economy values in GDP approximately $1.5 trillion. So with the wiping out of $2 trillion, over the past 10 years, you would have lost the value that is equivalent to the whole country of Canada. And more. Because if you were to throw in the economies of all of the 16 Caribbean countries and bring in with that all of the economy of Miami, most of Florida, that accounts for the other five uh, hundred billion. So what you're saying is, over a 10-year period, if you were to look at it, is that what has been wiped out would be the equivalent of the country of Canada, all of the Caribbean, and all of Miami. That's what the world has lost in terms of just monetary value. So what we're saying is that we cannot take for granted this whole scenario and this plan of the kingdom of God that is needed in order to bring human rulership to an end. It, we are reaching crisis proportions. Our meeting here is no different from the, the, the meeting that companies have, in a sense, is no different from where they have their retreats that governments have. They have their retreat. And the retreat is they go, they go to a place and get away from the, their regular uh, work area and begin to think about how are we doing 
What about our existence as a company? Are we growing? What are the things that are happening that tells us that we are on target? This assessment tells us that the kingdom of God is on target. What Jesus said and what God has said in his word is literally happening. The words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and all the, 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 the crises and the disasters are clearly beginning to happen. This wiping out of, of 52% of, of the earth's uh, mammals, uh, vertebrae beings, is, is very well linked to, the, to, the, to, the, to the, the prophecy which speaks about a third of the plants and a third of the water and a third of humanity and a third is being wiped out at any given time. So we cannot not give thought to this as we come to the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, brethren, last night, as we came as the high day of the Feast of Tabernacles began to dawn, in the skies was this blood-red moon that stood out there. There are some pictures of it, beautiful pictures of it on the internet. Showing just what that was. And it is of interest that this occurred, this is not the first time, this is the second time that this particular event is happening in 2014. At the beginning of the sacred year, on the night, the high day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was dawning in, there was another of those blood-red moons in the skies. And history shows us that based upon the NASA research and projection of what is called a tetrad, four of these blood moons occurring in 2014 and 2015, all of them happening on God's high holy days. In 2014, it was on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right after the Passover. And then, last night, at the dawn of Tabernacles. And then, in 2015, the same thing is going to happen again. On the day of, of the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, as it begins to dawn at the Passover, there will be, in 2015, another blood-red moon. And come Tabernacles 2015, the same thing is going to happen. Except that in 2015, it's more dramatic. Because what is promised, based on the NASA research, is that on the first of Nisan, when the, when the, when the, the sacred year is beginning, there is going to be a solar eclipse. Just think about it. Just think about it. And on the first of Tishri, think of it, there's going to be also a solar eclipse. 
does not ignore these occurrences. We know that in Genesis 1.14, God, in speaking about the sun and the moon, made it clear that these are established for signs and for seasons. Both signs and seasons. The word seasons there in Genesis 1.14 is properly translated religious festivals. The Moed, the Hebrew Moed. It's religious festivals. You go into a number of the, of the, of the other translations like your Good News Bible and, and, and some of the, the other uh, 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 translations. They don't put the word seasons in Genesis 1.14. Uh, You'll see there that these are for, for signs and for religious festivals. The feasts of God had their origin at creation. And God would, just like any father would, expecting that he was going to bring into being his children, would have made provision of times when they should worship. But it was not only for the festivals, but also for signs, because God communicates with man also by signs. It is no wonder that when Jesus was born, at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a star signaling his birth. And God uses the natural order of the environment to do major things, as he did at the day of Pentecost at, at Mount Sinai, and he did at the day of Pentecost at the time in the New Testament. So the church of God must not ignore these signs. What do they mean? Why is it? It is not as though there are many eclipses happening through the year, 2014 and 2015, and some of them just happen to fall on God's high holy days. That's not what is happening. If that were happening, you would say, well, of course it's happening, and, you know, it's happening on all days, and it just happens to fall. It is that every one of these that are happening, that are forecasted by those whose business it is to see these things, they are all happening at the time of God's feasts and holy days. And the, 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 the lunar eclipses are all happening on the high holy days. At that time, when it was happening in 2014, we did some presentations here in Toronto and in Burlington and in Kitchener, I recall. And we explained the implications of this because it is not the first time that these things have happened. And if you go back into history, there's a series of instances when these tetrads occurred and that following their occurrence were major issues of conflicts with the nation of Israel, the Israel of God. But the least we can say about these events is that it says to us that the very elements that God uses in order to determine his feasts, he's utilizing them at the time of his feasts. 
And it is no less than a confirmation to the people of God of the continued relevance of these festivals for God's people. That's the least. It is also not only a sign to confirm to the people of God, but also to warn those, the thousands of people who came to know God's feasts, who he revealed it to, and they were observing his feasts and have walked away, that God is still very current and wants his people to keep his festivals. This event happened in 1493 to 1494 at the time when the inquisitions were taking place and the Jews had to flee Europe in order to find a place of safety from their, their, um, their, uh, the threats that were upon their lives. It also happened in 1949 and 1950, right in the, the, the period when there was the, 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 the major issue of the Holocaust and, the, and, the, and, and, and whatever was happening, again, where God's people, and it was not only Jews, it was all the Christians that were keeping Jewish feasts. Please remember that. Please remember that we, we sometimes think of the Holocaust just in terms of the Jews themselves. But it was all the Christians who were observing the Jewish feasts were categorized and they were under this pressure. It happened again in 1967 and 68 at the time when there was the Six-Day War between the number of Arab nations that came in to wipe out the Jewish people. And God would have provided them with the resources to have won that war and to push them back. And what is clear is that no one can deny the dramatic turns that have taken place in the world since 2014. You can't deny that. Since Passover. You can't deny that there have been dramatic events. 2014 is a peculiar year. It's a very important year. Because it represents the 100th anniversary of World War I. So, on, in and of itself, it is a year of significance. But analysts are saying, and if you're watching your television screens and reading your newspapers and reading your magazines and looking, analysts are saying that the events of 2014 are very similar to the events that occurred preceding World War I. What they're saying is that 2014 is laying out that the, the storm clouds are gathering for a storm, and 2014 seems to be the year when that shift now has begun to take place. And no doubt will move into 2015. And major things are 
on the horizon for our world. And you don't need a more important signal than recent statements by Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, who has been regularly now brandishing the, the nuclear strength of Russia. You don't need to have any issues for Vladimir Putin to begin a war. He just moves in. And there are a number of reports. It says last month, um, uh, Putin said, Russia is one of the most powerful nuclear nations in the world. He continued, Russia's armed forces, backed by its nuclear uh, arsenal, were ready to meet any aggression declaring this at a pro-Kremlin youth camp. And then he also, uh, just recently, Russia tested successfully its latest uh, Bolova intercontinental nuclear missile and fired that, that missile, which is, 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 is the a missile that, that takes nuclear um, energy into, into, or, or nuclear destructive elements with it. And he was able to shoot that for some 3,500 miles successfully hitting the target that, they, that it aimed for in uh, the... right onto the border of Finland and, um, and this was nearing the, the, the 3,500 miles away from the peninsula of North Japan. Just taking, looking at the, the, the notes here from the report. So what it means is, apart from all of what we're talking about, the, the ecology and how things are, 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 are having a major downturn, we're seeing that already the elements of major wars, not the kind of wars that we have been seeing over the past years, the major ones, like the nuclear type, are on the horizons. We are seeing in 2014 the rise of ISIS, or ISIL, as it is called. And we are seeing that no one is, was so, so aware of the, the power of this force, but right now, with the, with the combined forces led by the United States, the international coalition, trying to strike that demon out, in spite of all of these forces aiming at them from the air, they were still able to proceed onto the borders of Turkey in the midst of all of that. So they are not quieted. They're not being subdued. And this has very troubling signals for the world. But the, the final event, brethren, all of those things that are happening, the ISIS and the, the Putin's uh, threats and the, the, the ecological issues, are only storm clouds that are gathering. There's coming a time when the real powder keg, there's going to be an explosion there. 
that is going to pull all the world to this one place, and that is to Jerusalem. And all of us sitting here, we have an interest in Jerusalem. God himself has chosen Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center of the world that everyone is competing for in order to get rulership there. The Palestinians are doing it. The Jews are doing it. The Europeans are doing it. Christians. People from all over the world. Europe wants to take control of Jerusalem. And that big showdown is represented here in Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14 speaks about the coming time when all nations will keep the Feast of Tabernacles. But it didn't start like that. The way in which Zechariah 14 begins, in verse 1, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. What does that mean? Thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. The prophetic word of scripture is that Jerusalem right now is under the rulership of the Jews. But eastern Jerusalem, although Jerusalem is under the rulership of the Jews, eastern Jerusalem is actually occupied. The majority of people living there are from the Arab world. They are Palestinians. They are, they are, they are, they are, they are people who, who want to see the, the, the Jews extinguished. And what is going to happen just before Jesus Christ arrives is that there's going to be success by those who are anti-Semitic where they are going to take control of one half of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is not going to be, continue to be under the rulership of the Jews. And already there are some softening taking place by the United States, by other powerful nations, towards the idea of the Jews giving up significant portions of Jerusalem on condition that support for Israel will only come if Israel would work in line with these powerful nations. Verse 2, For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go to the north into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. That is where the hot battle, the day of the Lord coming, and it is, it is, being, it is being paralleled with the events that are happening in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a place from which the people of God will be reigning is a place that Christ is coming to. His feet shall stand 
in that day on the Mount of Olives. And he shall come back in order to reign and to rule. But there's a point when all nations are going to be gathered around because Jerusalem is the stumbling block. Jerusalem is the issue of the world. No matter what is happening out there in, in Ukraine and, and in all the other places, uh, you know, between Japan and, and China and, and the conflicts that are happening, it all is leading up to the events that will take place in Jerusalem. So all of this is something that is yet to be fulfilled. The dividing of Jerusalem and the pulling of Jerusalem out of the hand of the Jews. And that will happen before Christ intervenes. And so the present violence that we are seeing in Jerusalem from the Palestinian side with Hamas and the rest and also with ISIS. ISIS' objective is ultimately to find themselves into Jerusalem. That's what they, they ultimately want to do. And so this is the answer that God gives us. He gives us this feast to promise us and to tell us that no matter how these forces rear their head, America and its coalition may very well not succeed. America says it will take years for them to be able to crush the terrorist groups that are continuing to grow, even on U.S. soil, possibly on Canadian soil, already we saw in Australian soil, although, and we are seeing it on the British soil. We are seeing these things already beginning to infiltrate. And the world is looking for an answer. It would be good if the leaders of the world understood and knew about the Feast of Tabernacles. It would be good if the President of the United States and the, President, the, the, the Prime Minister of Canada and the Prime Minister of Britain and Australia knew and understood this answer. Because all of man's effort is futile and there is nothing that it will eventually come to. Verse 3 of Zechariah 14. Then shall the Lord go forth. That is the time when all of these issues that we are having, this is the only answer to settle persons like Mr. Putin's ambitions and ISIS ambitions. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst of thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed, to, shall move towards the north, and half to the south. Very dramatic events that are to come. We are 
a part of God's government. We are a part of God's army. And the people of God must continue to keep abreast of these developments. That is why God puts these things in Scripture, so that we can monitor and we can know. As the Apostle Paul says, we are not in the dark, as are many others, because God has taught us through his feasts of what is happening and what will happen. And therefore, we can go to the scriptures and be ahead of the newspapers. The newspapers are stale news. The news of the future is in your Bible. Zechariah 12, verse 3. Zechariah 12, verse 3. And in that day, referring to the same day of the coming of the Lord, prior to the coming of the Lord, is a part of the events leading up to the coming of the Lord. I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, all that burn themselves with it shall be cut into pieces. All the people who are going after Jerusalem, outside of God's people, there is an answer for them. I wish they would believe the word and save their lives. But this is not likely. Even though it says, all the people of the earth be gathered against it. So the very same thing we are seeing in, 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 in um in Zechariah 14, we are seeing it here in another way. Jerusalem, the burden of the world, and the people will be cut into pieces, means they will be destroyed for all of what is happening. And so, we rejoice when we come to the Feast of Tabernacles. Because there is no feeling as good as when you have a problem, a very severe problem, but you also have the answer. That brings peace. That brings joy. That's quite a relief for anyone. And the answer to the problems of this burden that the world carries is the kingdom of God represented by the Feast of Tabernacles. Isaiah 2 and verse 3. And many people shall go and say, all these people that are now fighting, all these people that are anti-Christian, anti-Semitic, all these people who believe that God's feasts were abolished at the cross, and that the new law is to keep Sunday and Easter and Christmas and all these man-made traditions, all these people, and many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. That is in Jerusalem. All nations. So ultimately all nations will have an opportunity to be in Jerusalem. But there is one and only one ruler and condition. And that is that at the time of the kingdom of God, the reign of the kingdom of God, and he will teach us his ways. Because they never knew his ways. 
you, the people of God, who are here at the Feast of Tabernacles, are privileged that God has called you and opened your mind, not because we are brighter than anyone else, but it's because of the Spirit of God that has opened our minds to help us to see and to accept these things. He will teach us his ways, they say, and we will walk in his paths. And aha, out of Zion shall go forth the law, the law of this lawless society that continues to preach and teach that Christ already kept the law for us, we don't have to keep it. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It is therefore a time for rejoicing. Rejoicing not because we will be in the kingdom of God only, but rejoicing because the entire earth will have the opportunity of being in the kingdom of God. Verse 11 of Isaiah 2. I'm sorry, go to Isaiah 50, I'm sorry, go to Isaiah 66, please. Verse, uh, verse 10. Isaiah 66, verse 10. The rejoicing that we come to the feast to rejoice is our understanding of what the feast means. We may not have a lot of things to rejoice about right now. We may be going through painful experiences. Painful experiences of relationships. Painful experiences of child rearing. Painful experiences of the financial crisis we may may, may be finding ourselves in. Painful experiences of the illnesses that are upon us and the doctors cannot find the solution. Painful experiences we are going through. But God says we can rejoice. Why? Verse 10. Isaiah 66, rejoice ye with Jerusalem and be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy is with her. All ye that mourn for her, all the things that you are seeing happening in the world, we are seeing another picture. We are not seeing the answer to the problem. Yes, I thank those countries that are doing all they can to subdue the enemies that are seeking to wipe out Israel. Praise God for them. They're doing all they can, what they can, while they can. But the solution does not lie with America. It does not lie with Canada. It does not lie with Britain, nor Australia, nor France, or the countries that are seeking to create an alliance. That's not the solution of the problem of the world. And the solution of the problem of the world sits in the midst of this congregation and the congregations that are meeting on the Feast of Tabernacles today, looking forward to the kingdom of God, we are seeing, as Abraham saw, a city with foundation whose builder and maker is God. And that is what excites us. That is what, to, the thing to which we gravitate. That is where we get our hopes. That is where we get our joy. That is where we get our confidence and our consolence and, 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 and our tranquil. To be tranquil. We can be in the midst of it all. Rejoice. And so the next seven days, including today 
It will be one in all eight days. It's a time of rejoicing. We can hug each other. We can cheer up each other. We can say, never mind brother, never mind sister. We are okay. We are fine. We are going through the wilderness of life. We are going through where the scorpions are. We are going through and we have temporary shelters. And sometimes the rain may come in on us. And sometimes the insects may come around and bite and do all kinds of things. But we know what this means. We know where we are going. We know what God has promised. And we are not disillusioned about it. We know what to look for. For thus saith the Lord, verse 12 of Isaiah 66. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will, extend, I will extend peace to her like a river. Jerusalem is actually known as a city of peace. But Jerusalem has not seen peace. Jerusalem has been a place of war. And that peace, behold, I'll extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. Then shall ye suck. Ye shall be born upon her sides and be handled upon her knees. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, beautiful Jerusalem, at this Feast of Tabernacles, we celebrate Jerusalem, the city of God. We know, ultimately, that is the new Jerusalem that will come down out of heaven. And therefore, instead of blood, peace will flow in Jerusalem like a river. And this is the consolation that all the people of God can have. Things are about to change. We are the people of God in the end times. And there is no doubt, and this has been said for ages, but the closer we get to it, each generation is seeing more and more, there is no doubt that the coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. And therefore, the scriptures say, let us comfort one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us strengthen and embolden one another. Let us walk uprightly. Let us walk in confidence. Let us walk with assurance that the promise of God is true. He is faithful and he will do what he has promised. Zechariah Let's just, we're going down to the close here, which is really in Revelation. Revelation 21. The hope provided by this Feast of Tabernacles is one that God has given to us. It is in the back of our minds, but it is not in the back of the minds of the leaders of this world. I do not know of any prime minister or president of any country in the world. Maybe there is and I can be corrected. But I do not know of one who is advocating that the kingdom of God is the answer to the problems of this world. Each one is trying to find a solution. 
But God would already instill in us as the future rulers the answer to that problem. Revelation 21 verse 1 is so beautiful to read. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. That is a very reassuring word of what is to come. Verse 3, I think it is. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. If you should take this right now to the pastors of the churches of the billions who are supervising over billions of people and say to them, you know, this is really the answer. You're not going to be raptured into heaven. Here is the answer. They would think you ridiculous for saying that. And that is the gift that God has given to you. His Holy Spirit that opens your mind and opened my mind to give us this peace, this understanding, and this joy. Let therefore, brethren, let us celebrate this feast with the joy and the confidence that God has given us in these words and these promises. Because ultimately we know that it will soon be over and that the answer to all of these issues that the world is facing, we come here to represent that solution. We come here to represent it for the future generations. We come here to represent it for those who are in the grave and did not get to know Jesus Christ. Consider the gift that God has given to you. Consider the privilege and the honor that God has given to you. Let us not waste it. Let us be faithful to the end. May God bless you.